0: Hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet in New York City. And I am talking to you once again, late at night, my favorite time to talk to you. And once again, I'm near the raging ocean and... Sadly, it's going to be the last time I talk to you near the raging ocean for some time. Probably at least, I don't know, at least until June. So I'm sucking every little bit of energy I can from the raging gorgeous ocean because I love it. I love it. I do. Anyway, I've been thinking a lot about jerk lately. I mean, jerk as in, oh, you big jerk. How dare you go 30 miles an hour on an electric bicycle and zoom through a stoplight when all the pedestrians are walking and then you almost kill us and then you shoot off and sometimes you do kill people, but meanwhile you have no insurance and no money, so what good does it do to sue you anyway? You're a big jerk. But I wasn't referring to that kind of a jerk. I was referring, actually, to jerk as in jerk chicken. It's a whole different kind of jerk. So I have a long history, a long and interesting and winding history with West Indian food. It kind of started with my being from New Jersey in an Orthodox Jewish family in New Jersey. I wasn't exactly going to be having jerk chicken. And then we would spend the summer, the whole three months of the summer, when we lived on the Jersey Shore, we would spend it in Panama City, Florida, which was the single worst place to be in the summer, but kind of made worse by the fact that we should be on the Jersey Shore in the summer, and that was the only good time to be on the Jersey Shore. And trying to find kosher food in Panama City, Florida, forget about it. I mean, there is, you, even now they call Panama City the redneck Riviera, but in the 70s, oh my Lord. We went out to get some gas, and we drove around in this camper, And so naturally, my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, they all shot inside to use the restroom, which is basically what my family did, was travel from bathroom to bathroom across the country. We were a high-restroom kind of family. But that left me outside while the gas station attendant is pumping the gas in my dad's Ford pickup truck with the El Dorado camper on top. And I guess my mother said something in Yiddish or she said some Jewish thing before she went in. Probably like, "Gotten in Himmel, for crying out loud. Who knows what she said? But whatever she said, this gas station attendant figured out we were Jewish. So it must have been pretty obvious. Anyway, he's pumping gas. I'm standing there. I'm like eight years old. And he looks at my butt. I mean, this is a grown man looking at my butt. I didn't really think of it as a sexual thing. I just thought, what is he looking at? What is on my butt? Did I sit on poo-poo? Like, what is going on? And then he looks at the top of my head. He keeps going back and forth, looking at my butt, looking at my head, looking at my butt, looking at my head. So, by this point, we'd spend so much time in Panama City, Florida, that I kind of picked up the accent like a sponge. And my parents were trying to teach us to have respect for our, our elders, but... In this particular situation, I didn't feel very respectful because he was staring at my ass and I was eight years old and he was some skeezy dude pumping gas. So I said, mister, what in the hell are you looking at? And he says very innocent, like he didn't think he was insulting me in the least. He was friendly and nice and innocent. And he said, well, I here's tell your mama says you's Jewish. So as looking for your horns and your tail. Where in tarnation do you hide them things? He didn't even think he was insulting me. It was the craziest thing. He just was genu- he genuinely just wanted to know where did we hide our tail and our horns. So I thought about it for a few minutes. You know, I kind of wanted to scream at him, but then I saw how innocent he was and how he really didn't think he was insulting me. And so I thought about it for a minute, and I said, we left them in New Jersey. And he went, oh, you know, okay, solved the great mystery for him. My parents came back, and Dad paid him for the gas, and we took off to, I think, Petticoat Junction, some sleazy little amusement park. And I kind of, you know, was amused with myself. But later on, I thought, you know, for years... This guy probably thought, in fact, that Jewish people left their horns and their tail in New Jersey or wherever they're from. They left it in their house. And so if their house was in New Jersey, you know, but it's kind of like we had detachable horns and tail or something. I don't know. It was kind of crazy. But not that that has anything to do with jerk chicken except for the fact I would say that that guy was one big racist anti-Semitic jerk except... He really was sort of innocent. It's kind of, scra- it's kind of strange. He didn't think he was insulting me in the least. He was being very friendly and he thanked me profusely for explaining to him where I left my horns and my tail. Crazy, right? So anyway, I wasn't exactly growing up with exotic food. I mean, we did get some odd food since we were growing up white trash and kosher, which is an odd combination. So we did have some odd combinations. And I know I've already told you that the One that really kind of explains it all was the day that we had kishka and grits. Kishka is a relatively horrifying sort of a Jewish kosher sausage-y meatloaf kind of thing, and with grits. Anyway, but I digress. So I felt hungry for ethnic food. And then later on, when I got my first apartment in New York, which was in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, Some of my neighbors turned me on to going into the West Indian section in town and starting to eat things. Well, they were all eating oxtail, oxtail curry, and roti, which would be like curried meat in a kind of a flatbread sort of pancake. Well, that was the first time I heard about jerk chicken. So then I said to my friends, What the hell is jerk chicken? It did not sound like something I wanted to eat. And they said, well, it's chicken that's so spicy, you have to be a jerk to eat it. And then I really didn't want to eat it. Um, and so I don't think I had at that point jerk chicken. But it did kind of remain a mystery to me. And then some years later, when I had my West Indian girlfriend, who was from Grenada, she had a true love affair with all things West Indian and all things Jamaican in particular. When I'd been living in Crown Heights, I got introduced to reggae, for the first time. Now, I was a punk rocker, so I was used to being a bit alternative. But it was kind of interesting to be living in this Hasidic Jewish neighborhood and have all of these renegade Hasidic guys listening to reggae. So there they are with their yarmulkes and their beards and their sitsies And you can Google it if you don't know what these things are. And they're like going, hey, Rasta man, hey, what you say? Give me some of your sensei. Kind of weird, right? Anyway, So when I started going out with my West Indian girlfriend, she introduced me to every kind of Jamaican food there was. And at that point, there hadn't been any Jamaican restaurants in Manhattan. Like if you wanted to have Jamaican food, you needed to go to Brooklyn. You needed to go to the outer boroughs. But they started kind of popping up in the city. I think the first one we went to, pretty sure it was called Caribe, C-A-R-I-B-E. And there was another couple of ones that we went to. And that was the first time I had jerk chicken. And in fact, it was pretty darn spicy. But of course, I had grown accustomed to eating pickled jalapeno peppers on pizza. That's a long thing to say. Pickled jalapeno peppers on pizza, PPP. So the jerk chicken was pretty darn spicy, but I could handle it as long as I chased it down with a beer, a red stripe, actually. And I thought, I have to master this. I tried to memorize the different flavors in my mouth. And I felt like I was getting some sort of a malt vinegar and something that was really spicy, some kind of chili pepper. And then I felt there was something herby happening and a kind of a cinnamon, all spicy thing happening. So I tried to recreate it in my kitchen. I lived on a six-floor walk-up in a ranch-style apartment that we called the ranch house and we had posters of clint eastwood and guatemalan guatemalan textiles and indian blankets around we were sort of pretending we were in a ranch on a decrepit six-floor walk-up apartment and i would invite my friends over while i was practicing different kinds of culinary things that i wanted to master so i invited all my friends over while i was practicing my jerk chicken So I sort of knew all the components, but there were a few things I didn't know. So I knew that what made it so spicy, because I talked to enough people, were hot chilies, like scotch bonnet peppers in particular, or the hottest chili you could find. And I think that I couldn't find my first attempt at scotch bonnet peppers. I think I might have done habanero, but it was like the spiciest chili I could find. And I sort of intellectually understood that I should be careful and maybe wash my hands after, you know, I sort of was prepared, but nobody told me that you really should just wear gloves. So I didn't wear gloves when I was chopping up the crazy hot chilies and I made this lethal marinade and marinated the chicken. And it was way, no one told me also and hot chilies do grow, so it was lethal spicy when I made the marinade. but it grew overnight, and then we had something that was like a three-alarm fire. So I wound up with the hottest, spiciest jerk chicken there was. Now, my West Indian girlfriend loved it. and She informed me that I was a talented West Indian chef, and I did a great jerk chicken. But nobody else who came could eat it. Their tongues were on fire, and they were crying, and it was just too much for everybody. But who it was really too much for was me because I hadn't used gloves. So no matter how many times I washed my hands, my skin and my fingers was burning. And someone told me, soak your fingers in milk. And I tried that and it didn't work. And I tried hand lotion and it didn't work. I tried everything. I think the only time it felt remotely not so painful is when I soaked them in milk. But the worst part was, you guessed it, the first time I went to the bathroom. And I'm going to just let you use your imagination on what hot, spicy chili pepper hands might do to you when you're attempting to clean yourself after using the bathroom. Now, you just think about that, and then you'll know what I was going through. So that's a good visual, I know. Let's let's just say that my girlfriend at the time, for the rest of the week, was calling me Madam Hot Pants. She was like, Madam Hot Pants jerk chicken, hot pants, you know, making lots of jokes about it. And it wasn't the least bit sexy. So now when I'm handling scotch bonnet peppers or habanero peppers, I do remember to wear gloves. And even with the gloves, I wash my hands like 35 times before I touch any of my lower parts or my eyes or my nose. And you should do the same. And I digress. So in my great love of all things West Indian, when I first started catering, there were two things that no caterer in New York was doing. One was food from New Orleans, Creole and Cajun food, and the other was West Indian food. So I quickly made a point to, do, to sort of become an expert on both. And I needed to get my jerk really, really up to par. And I go about it a few different ways. So essentially, to me, jerk chicken has to have something like nutmeg or allspice or cinnamon, All of the above, five spice, nutmeg, cinnamon, or you could just do five spice and nutmeg or five spice and cinnamon, but it has to have that as a backbone to everything else you're gonna do. And then no matter what, it really should have time. And I don't know, not well, time to you need time, T I M E to marinate it, of course, and time to eat it. But you need time the herb. What is that? T H Y M E? And I always thought it was strange like why you would have this herb that I associate with something I would put in French or Italian food, in jerk chicken. So it makes me think that maybe the French or Italians got over to Jamaica at some point. But it does need a whole lot of time. So in your marinade, you want to have your five-spice nutmeg cinnamon action, all of the above, or just five-spice and nutmeg, whatever you want to do. But you you want that back flavor. And you want to have your time, And then you want to have a couple of different things I do. Sometimes I will do scotch bonnet peppers if I'm feeling brave that I'll kind of chop and throw into the marinade. Everything's going in the food processor so I'm throwing in my scotch bonnet peppers without the seeds and a stem, slightly chopped. I'm throwing in my allspice. I'm throwing in my nutmeg, my cinnamon. I'm throwing in my thyme which could be fresh or dried. Usually it's dry when you do the marinade but fresh is fine too. I'm starting off with that, then I'm throwing in some garlic. Sometimes I don't wanna do scotch bonnets cause it's just so lethal. So I'll cheat and I'll do whatever chilies I can get. Habanero's also lethal, but jalapeno can work just fine. And if you don't find it hot enough, you can add to it with some sriracha, even though that's not traditional, who cares? I'm working on my puree. Then you wanna throw in a lot of onion. I do half red onion, half white onion want to throw in a lot of scallion so now you're making this paste this very herby spicy oniony scalliony paste and fresh ground pepper a lot of that you got it all zinging and zanging now there's a lot of different ways I go with this sometimes I will add gluten-free tamari some people do soy sauce but I'm keeping it gluten-free and puree puree And sometimes i'll give it fresh orange juice and puree puree and sometimes i'll give it fresh orange and lime juice and puree puree sometimes i'll go a different direction and i'll give it malt vinegar puree puree and some worcestershire puree puree either all of those things work you got the back flavor of your cinnamon kind of all spice thing you got the spicy chilies heavy on the onion and scallion and then you either went the tamari direction or the orange lime direction or the malt vinegar Worcestershire or malt vinegar tamari direction and you get this great nuclear spicy paste that's wet enough to be a marinade and it's a gorgeous thing and I play with it a little bit. Sometimes I'm like oh you know what I'm going to add a little fresh orange juice to my malt vinegar marinade or I'm going to add a little tamari to my fresh orange juice. All of those things work well. Do you want you get this nuclear spicy tasty marinade and then you marinate your chicken in that and really it's best for chicken on the bone but it can be any kind of chicken take a chicken and cut it into eight pieces marinated in that if you are a boneless kind of person then just don't do the bone whatever you're going to do you marinate your chicken in that overnight and then the next day you grill it a jerk chicken really likes to be grilled and i would say over medium heat until it's completely finished And if you have a big piece of chicken on the bone and you think you're just sitting it on the grill too long and it's very well marked and flavorful, but just a little under on the inside, you can finish it off in the oven. No one's gonna know and no one's gonna care. And you get this nice spicy jerk chicken. Now sometimes for an hors d'oeuvre, I'll do jerk chicken brochettes. So then you take boneless chicken thigh or boneless chicken breast and you cut it into strips and you marinate it in your jerk marinade, and you grill the strips, and then you skewer it onto a bamboo skewer. You serve it as an hors d'oeuvre with like a mango chutney dip. That's a gorgeous thing. So, not bad for a Jewish girl, right? My West Indian girlfriend and I, we had a pretty wild time together, and so she was so fascinated with everything Jamaican, and so was I. I was in love with reggae, I was in love with Joe Chicken. I was in love with Red Stripe Beer. I mean, the whole thing was exciting for me. And we were smoking pot like it was going out of style. So we decided that we were gonna go to Jamaica. And so we went on this trip to Jamaica and she really wanted to do the local thing. She didn't wanna do the tourist thing. She wanted to break away from the tourists and just do the local thing. And we kind of had that on our mind. So we went to this resort in Negril I guess this would be hmm, 35 years ago, approximately. It happened to be at the time that we went, Reagan was president. So maybe is that 40 years or 35 years ago. You do the math. I can't. I'm old and I'm tired. I'm not old, but I feel old. Anyway, but I know that Jamaica was really angry at Reagan because he had them burning down their pot plants that year because so much of it was coming into our country. So they weren't feeling really in love with Americans at the time that we went there were a couple of things going on that we didn't know about. Now, the other thing that was going on that we didn't know about was that an enormous amount of American women were going to Jamaica alone, or just a couple of girls, on the purpose of picking up a good-looking Rastafarian and then making that Rastafarian basically their lover for their entire vacation. And I knew, actually, a woman who did that every time she went to Jamaica she, In her case, she uh, called up the same Rastafarian, so they developed a long-term relationship. She'd come to town. He'd be her boyfriend for the week. She'd come back to America. He'd go back to his wife. So when we were walking along the beach in Negril outside of her hotel, the Rastafarians assumed two women with no man. We were there to get ourselves a Rastafarian boyfriend for our vacation time. And we certainly were not. We were there because we loved each other, and we loved Jamaican food, and we loved reggae, and we are not the least bit interested in having a boyfriend. And they couldn't accept it. So they followed us everywhere. They just would scream out to us, you know. And my, my girlfriend, I thought, we thought somehow they might bother me more because I was like the blonde hair, blue-eyed chick. And and maybe they would think that my girlfriend was Jamaican because she looked West Indian and she was West Indian. But in fact, the Rastas bothered her a lot more than me. They just couldn't accept the fact that she didn't want them. They couldn't accept the fact that I didn't want them either, but it really bothered them about her because she was just a gorgeous creature and she still is. So they would scream, African princess, come to me. They would scream to me, Blondie, come to me. And they just terrorized us. So we finally gave up on trying to do the local thing because no one would let us sit there and eat our food. They were just constantly harassing us. And we just stayed inside the hotel where the security guards were on the beach with these big giant baseball bats. When we first got to the beach, we were like, why are these guys walking around with the baseball bats? It was so unnerving. But then after 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 men came trying to get us um, to be their girlfriend or assuming we wanted them to be our boyfriend. We were sort of glad for the big giant security guards with the baseball bats. None of that changed the fact that we loved Jamaican food and we loved reggae and we loved the ocean and we loved each other. But it did change the fact that we didn't feel so adventuresome, adventurous because when we stepped like three feet outside of the hotel, there were like 30 guys around us. But the one time we did manage to escape the hotel and go to a local place, and we went in the daytime in the afternoon, and we sat down and we had some jerk chicken. And that jerk chicken probably was worth all of the sexual harassment we were getting the whole time we were there. I thought, in the end, all of that was a small price to pay for that sublime jerk chicken. And it had a lot of the same flavors that I was used to cooking, you know, in the many different times I made jerk chicken. But it had a smoky gorgeousness that I was never able to achieve. No matter how many times I grilled, I've grilled it many different ways. It just was like as if it was cooked. You, in some way, I just couldn't understand what they had done to achieve this perfect texture and perfect flavor. And so I went out back to see what the chef was doing. And the chef, it turned out, was a very large woman with her hair wrapped up in a do rag and these giant hoop earrings. And she was just a huge woman. And she had taken a fence like um you know, a metal fence that you would see I don't know what you call it, you know, just a metal fence that you would see keeping the deer in or the coyotes out, and cut it off wherever it was, and the fence was over A bunch of stones with a roaring fire and the jerk chicken was being cooked on this metal fence over the roaring fire and i was like well no wonder i couldn't achieve that because i don't have some big metal fence to put over a bunch of stones in a roaring fire it's just cooking it on a grill boring old me that was the best jerk chicken i ever had in my life and i often try to emulate it but i will not cut off someone's fence and make a big fire and put the fence over the fire like this woman did But I gave her a lot of respect. And I did tell her right then and there that that was the best jerk chicken I ever had in my entire life. She thanked me very much and then suggested I get my ass back to the hotel before the 50 men who were giving us goo-goo eyes came after us. And she was right. But still, fabulous jerk chicken. So the moral of this story is, yes, do go to Jamaica and do have the jerk chicken. And do enjoy every bit of the music and flavor and everything else but if you're a single women walking around you know be careful at least well at least 35 years ago in a grill i I'm, I imagine it's a little better now or not I don't know but I digress so the moral of this story is that life is short And you must take chances, and you must try the jerk chicken. And you must go to Jamaica and try the jerk chicken, or at least go somewhere and try the jerk chicken. And you must try cooking the jerk chicken. And if you have a beautiful West Indian girlfriend who's drop-dead gorgeous, well, hooray for you. But then just be prepared to get a whole lot of men following you everywhere you go. And I suppose that's not a bad problem to have. You know... The other thing I've been thinking about aside from jerk chicken is I've been thinking a little bit about legacy. It's kind of a weird segue, right? Jamaican jerk chicken, my hot West Indian girlfriend being so sexually harassed in the grill 35 years ago. But I think about legacy too. And maybe that's because I have a few friends that have been having problems with their health, one in particular who is suffering from cancer, who's a lovely, lovely person. And I've lost a few friends over the last year, 2022 in particular. And I think a lot about what do we leave behind and what can we leave behind? It's not enough. Of course, we want happiness and joy and we want to live our life and we want to be fulfilled. But also, maybe it's time to start thinking about what can we leave behind to make it easier for other people to be fulfilled and other people to live and enjoy their life. What kind, wonderful could we leave behind? A beautiful painting, a beautiful piece of writing, a beautiful body of work, a happy family, happy grandchildren. Think about these things. Maybe that's because I've finally entered a time in my life. It was always that I had a lot more years ahead of me than I did behind me. But now I have to admit, I think I have more years behind me than I do ahead of me. It's hard to say, but I said it. So I'm thinking about my legacy thinking about the legacy of my friends who are having health scares too. And so what I would say to you really, no matter how old you are, how healthy you are, how healthy you're not, think a little bit about what you leave behind, what you might leave behind. Are you a mother? Can you leave behind happy children and happy grandchildren? Are you a writer? Can you leave behind a wonderful body of work? Are you a painter? Can you leave behind a fantastic painting? Are you a landscaper? Can you leave behind happy people with beautiful landscapes everywhere you go? Can you leave behind friends that talk about you with love in their heart and tell the world about you? You know, there's a million things you can leave behind. Can you leave behind a healthier planet? Can you do things to help the poor? Can you do things to help animals? What might you leave behind? So I'm thinking about that. I guess I'm going to leave behind a really good recipe for jerk chicken. And I'm going to leave behind, hopefully, a lot of people that I filled with love. And I'm going to leave behind, hopefully, several really great books that people love to read and a bunch of plays that people like. And just mainly, I'm going to leave behind as much joy as I possibly can for as many people as I possibly can. And so... That is not a jerky thing to do at all. So, in closing, please do enjoy some jerk chicken. Please do try making some jerk chicken. But please do not be a jerk. Instead, be the opposite of a jerk. Be the anti-jerk. And as an anti-jerk, I would say, leave as much joy and love as you can in this world. Because there's too many hot, painful things. You know, jerk chicken can be hot and painful if you up the ante on the scotch bonnets but try to leave behind a lot of joy. Joy is a chaser for pain. Just like mango chutney is a chaser for spicy jerk chicken. You know what I mean? This is Rossi babbling away as usual. And remember, as I always say, food is love and so are you. And the roaring ocean in the background is pure glory. Think about your legacy and be the anti-jerk You can do it. L'chaim.